Thank you very much for that kind introduction and a heartfelt thanks to the Knorr Foundation for the opportunity to come out here and talk tonight about a topic that I've been, as you said, investigating for over a decade. Uh, I finally wrote my first book where we uh, presented the findings of over a decade of research, the largest study of near-death experience that's ever been presented. And I'll be sharing with you a brief overview of the findings in my research today. I will be talking about near-death experiences and after effects of near-death experiences are the typically consistent change in beliefs and values that occur after these dramatic experiences. Well, we've talked a lot today already about a near-death experience, and I want to start by defining uh, what I consider a near-death experience to be. Uh, I think consistent with what most people would believe a near-death experience is, there's two components. The first is you have to be near death. In other words, you have to have had an illness, traumatic event, or something in which you are so physically compromised that you are unconscious or may actually be clinically dead, uh, as it may be shifting in definition, but clinically dead at least in the sense that you're not breathing on your own and you have no spontaneous heartbeat. Uh, these people are truly experiencing a close brush with death, so severe that if their physical condition did not improve, they would suffer permanent irreversible death. But at the time when these people are unconscious, which by the very definition of unconsciousness means that there should be no possibility of an experience, they do have an experience. That's why it's called a near-death experience. And we'll be looking closely at the experience part of near-death experiences in, in some detail tonight. I would emphasize as an overview that no two near-death experiences are the same. However, when you study large numbers of near-death experiences, the consistency of elements of things that occur during a near-death experience is striking. And that has certainly been my observation and all other major scholarly studies in this phenomenon over the 35 years that it's been studied. Uh, who has near-death experiences? Well, as Dr. Parnia said, about 10 to 20% of people that have a close brush with death that nearly die will have a near-death experience. Interestingly, in 1982, a Gallup poll was published indicating that perhaps as many as 5% of American adults had a prior life history of a near-death experience. Near-death experiences can happen to children and adults. They can happen to physicians and scientists, and believe me, I've heard from a lot of physicians and scientists that have had these experiences. Priests, ministers, the religious and atheists, even people who have never heard of near-death experience and couldn't even conceive it was possible. All of these people can have near-death experiences, and in fact, their near-death experiences are strikingly the same, and in fact, the uh, research that we've done has involved inviting people worldwide to share their near-death experiences. And the similarity, the striking consistency of the element of near-death experiences is seen from accounts worldwide, including Western and non-Western civilizations. Well, after 35 years of scholarly research, at this point in time, we simply cannot predict who will have a near-death experience at the time of a life-threatening event, nor can we predict what the content of that near-death experience will be. The rather uh, remarkable conclusion is that theoretically anybody at the time of a life-threatening event, if you're one of those 10 or 20 percent, could possibly have a near-death experience. Well, uh, what is a physician doing here talking about near-death experience? That's uh, quite a bit different from my medical specialty of radiation oncology, to put it mildly. Well, when I was doing my residency training, I happened quite by accident on an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, that had the, the title Near-Death Experience in it. And, and I stopped. I was puzzled. I stopped looking for my article on cancer and read it, and I, I was fascinated. 
And I remember thinking, how is it possible that people can have such strikingly similar experiences while unconscious, while clinically dead, and how can they be so similar worldwide? Well, that got my attention up, and even though I was studying my medical specialty of radiation oncology, I, I tried to pay as much attention as I could to the literature on near-death experience. And then I had a life-changing event two years later. I heard my first in-person near-death experience. A friend of mine was uh, visiting my, where I was at the University of Iowa in Iowa City and had his new wife with him. And during the course of dinner that evening, his wife mentioned that while she was undergoing general anesthesia, she had a severe allergic reaction to one of the anesthetic agents and she coded. That means her heart stopped. And I, time stood still as I wrestled with the concept. I said, this would be the dumbest question to ask. Here you are under general anesthesia and your heart stops. That's doubly medically inexplicable to have any possible conscious experience. And yet, at the time, I said, if I don't ask it, I'll, I'll regret it. So finally, I got up the nerve about a half a minute later and said, well, okay, you're under general anesthesia and you coded. Did anything happen? Did you have an experience? And she said, why, yes and described how her consciousness went above her body, how she saw and heard the flat EKG, the time that her heart had stopped in surgery, how she saw her frantic resuscitation efforts, and then went on to describe a very detailed near-death experience. I was flabbergasted. Immediately at that time, I said to myself, if this really happens, if this is a consistent thing that happens and can happen, this certainly changes my view of the consciousness, my view of the universe. And so many, many years later, I set up a website, Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and that's its URL up there. This was set up over a decade ago with the intent of studying near-death experiences. At the current time, we have a very detailed questionnaire, actually 150 questions, and I, I have a tremendous amount of, of respect for anybody that fills those out, and yet vast numbers of people do. So uh, over year, the, the decades, more than a decade that we've been studying this, we've received over 1,300 near-death experiences. This is by far the largest study of near-death experiences that's ever been reported. So we not only have large numbers of near-death experiences to study, but we're also studying them in tremendous depth with the question we have. Uh, and I was delighted to find that there's been several, duddy, several dozen uh, good randomized studies that found that responses to internet survey questions appear to be absolutely equally reliable to the more conventional pencil and paper questions. So uh, I'm more convinced than ever that the data that I'm going to be presenting here is indeed uh, what, it, what it is. In fact, it's a, it brings me to a basic scientific principle. One of the guiding scientific principles in my research is that what's real is consistently observed. And what I'm going to be presenting here is observed with overwhelming consistency throughout these 1,300 near-death experiences. And in fact, there's consistency not only with my own personal study, but there's been hundreds of prior scholarly articles in the leading medical and scientific journals. I mean, I was certainly no pioneer. It's been 35 years where these hundreds of scholarly articles have been published, so there's actually a good body of literature. And while I'm going to be sharing some pretty dramatic observations about near-death experience, please understand that my major study findings have been corroborated with scores of prior scholarly studies that looked at these specific areas. So this isn't my unique observations. These are corroborated with many, many other studies. So another thing I want to emphasize is while we, sometimes you can get lost in the numbers. You know, 1,300 near-death experiences, every single one of these people had a name, a face, a dramatic close encounter with death that touched themselves, their loved ones, their family. 
and, and went on to tell the story about that. And, and you know, never want to lose sight of the human side about the struggle people go through to have the, get over their life-threatening event and find the courage, ultimately, to share their dramatic experience with, with others around them and ultimately with researchers so that we can, can learn about these dramatic experiences. Um, we're going to talk about some of the, in, in some depth, a few of what I consider to be the more striking elements of near-death experiences. Uh, there's about 10 or 12 different, depends on the, the author, 10 or 12 different elements that have been described, and we'll, we'll talk at some length about them. Well, the first thing that is fairly obvious when you study near-death experiences is that they have clear consciousness. Don't forget that this is happening at a time of unconsciousness from physical compromise or even clinical death. To understand how dramatic that is, uh, please be aware of what happens at the time of a cardiac arrest, not a heart attack. Uh, I learned well from Dr. Parnia, but really a cardiac arrest, which means the heart stops. When the heart stops beating, immediately blood flow stops flowing to the brain. The heart can't pump it up there. When the blood stops flowing to the brain, 10 to 20 seconds later, the EEG, electroencephalogram, a measure of brain electrical activity, goes flat. In other words, there's no measurable brain electrical activity. And yet, during this time period, when uh, near-death experiencers may observe their often frantic resuscitation efforts, these experiences are happening at a time when it should be absolutely medically inexplicable. Well, in my study of 613 near-death experiences that, that all responded to the same question, uh, did they really have clear consciousness, or were they perhaps uh, their, their consciousness impeded by their, their uh, unconsciousness or, or clinical death? Well, interestingly, in response to the question, how did your level of consciousness and alertness during your experience compare to your consciousness and alertness during your everyday normal life, a whopping 74.4% said that during the NDE, they had more consciousness and alertness than normal. 19.9% normal consciousness and alertness, and only a small minority, 5.7%, thought their level of consciousness and, and alertness was reduced at the time they were, by all physical measurements, uh, clinically unconscious. And in fact, uh, certainly another stern test for how clear consciousness can exist during near-death experiences are, as in the example I gave with the wife of my friend, that being near-death experiences under general anesthesia. Under adequate general anesthesia, there should be no possibility of a conscious perception. And then add on top of that a cardiac arrest, which of course is carefully documented during uh, general anesthesia. That's part of what anesthesiologists do. In my study, we studied 26 NDEs that to me looked very convincingly occurring during general anesthesia. And looking at 33 elements of the near-death experience from the questionnaire, I compared the responses of the NDEs under anesthesia group to NDEs occurring under all other circumstances. 32 out of 33 elements of NDE were identical between the two groups, including the critical question, what was your level of consciousness and alertness? Again, I think NDEs under general anesthesia being very typical NDEs with equivalent consciousness and alertness to all other NDEs, some very, very powerful evidence indeed that we do have the ability that seems to be the potential for consciousness to exist beside uh, apart from what we conventionally think of normal physical brain functioning. Uh, but we have other lines of evidence, too. You heard Dr. Parnia talk about uh, the, the very touching story about the three-year-old girl who rose up above her body and even drew a picture of that. Well, that's been an object of considerable study in the near-death experience arena. It's called the out-of-body experience. Typically, this happens early in the course of a near-death experience. Consciousness rises typically above the body. Uh, from that vantage point, they can often see ongoing earthly events. Um, I observed that in about 45% of near-death experiences shared in my series. Well, a real critical question is, 
what are they seeing? Is it real? In other words, what they're observing of ongoing earthly events, is it real or is it hallucinatory? Well, that's been addressed by two good prospective studies. Uh, one of them by a Dr. Sabom was an interesting study of cardiac arrest survivors. And these are people whose heart actually stopped. And there were two groups, about several dozen, that had a near-death experience. And in addition to that, they had an out-of-body experience and observed their own resuscitation. Dr. Parnia asked this group to describe their resuscitation. His control group were people that had a cardiac arrest who did not have a near-death experience. He asked them to describe their resuscitation, too. The people that had a near-death experience were, in, in general, tremendously accurate in describing what really happened at the time of their resuscitation. In fact, he had one case report where the person having a near-death experience and observing their own resuscitation correctly de described the serial number on the defibrillator used to bring them back to life. The people that had no near-death experience either said they couldn't guess what happened or they, they, they made it an educated guess based on what they were aware of on TV. And believe me, as I and Dr. Parnia know, what, what's typically described of a resuscitation on TV is usually not what happens in the real world. The crash cart doesn't magically appear where you want to. There's some frantic behavior. There may be, I hate to say this, Dr. Parney, but sometimes unprofessional behavior and sometimes it's doctors. So shh, that's our little secret. Yeah, occasionally, but anyway. But that's, that's what we hear over and over from the people that describe their near-death experience. And it, it's, it's a concept they simply could not have had from any other way of knowing what really happens during a near-death experience. Well, the ender for my near-death experience research foundation study, I found 287 people who had this out-of-body experience and was able to describe some ongoing earthly events. I studied this to see if either the person who had the near-death experience felt there was some unrealistic or illusory component to what they saw, and I also, with, with my medical background, tried to determine if I could find any illusionary or hallucinatory component in what they described, and if there was any illusionary or hallucinatory component, that went into the unreal category. So even with that fairly strict sta uh, sta uh, criteria for research, 97.6 of these out-of-body experience observations uh, just had absolutely no inapparent inaccuracy. And moreover, many of these out-of-body experience observations described ongoing earthly events far removed from the physical body. We would have people that had cardiac arrests in the operating room, and yet they would describe what their family members were saying in the hospital cafeteria. We'd have people that would be in the emergency room and could describe accurately and in detail what was being said and what they saw of their, their often uh, frightened and distraught friends and family in the hallway far removed from the emergency room. So uh, over and over we're seeing tremendous consistency in, in what these out-of-body experiences are. Uh, as best we can tell, at least for the overwhelming majority, what they seem to see in this out-of-body state is indeed real. And that is absolutely medically inexplicable. Uh, but there's another near-death experience element, that being heightened senses. One of the most common things reported in near-death experiences is an overwhelming sense of peace, of joy, of love, of connection, oneness. And we hear that over and over. The great majority of near-death experiences have that. But other types of senses may be enhanced, too. Vision may be enhanced. We have a number of near-death experiences where they describe vision occurring in 360 degrees. And amazing, isn't it? I mean, as we sit here today, our visual field is confined to a basically pie-shaped field because that's the location of the eyes in our skull. 
we can't see around us because that's where our eyes are. And yet in near-death experiences, we often hear a description of 360-degree vision. They can be described being aware, visually aware of things going on above them, below them, beside them, front and back, and all simultaneously. Uh, and in fact, speaking of vision, Near-death experiences with vision, with strong, detailed vision, have been described in those born totally blind and who remain totally blind throughout their life. And in fact, we have an example of that. Uh, the, uh, this is a Marta G. Marta G, at the age of five, was legally blind. And for reasons I cannot fathom, even though she was legally blind, she went playing in a lake. I guess she's five years old. Perhaps you can excuse that. Parents, you might understand. but. At the age of five, she went into the lake and drowned and became unconscious and had her close brush with death. Marta G's own words right here. This is what can happen during a near-death experience, even if they're legally blind. A beautiful woman, dressed in bright white light, pulled me out and, looking into my eyes, asked me what I wanted. I was completely satisfied and could think of nothing until it occurred to me to take a trip around the lake. I did and saw detail I would never have seen in real life. I could go anywhere, even to the tops of trees, by simply intending to do so. I was legally blind and for the first time saw leaves on trees, birds' feathers, birds' eyes, details on telephone poles and in people's backyards that were far more acute than 20-20 vision. And we have a small series of NDEs that occur under people that are legally blind, and this is very, very consistent in the kinds of experiences we get. Now, already, a lot of you may be saying, wow, this is some pretty strong evidence that consciousness can exist apart from the body in a very dramatic and vivid way in so many people that have had these near-death experiences. Well, certainly, it's appropriate to consider that alternative explanations of near-death experience have been proposed. Now, while I believe they're medically inexplicable, I certainly respect and, in fact, I encourage thoughtful, skeptical considerations of physiological, psychological, or cultural alternative explanations of near-death experience. However, I will tell you, just uh, without going into to details of all the alternative explanations, that over 20 of these different explanations have been proposed for NDE. And they really do cover every conceivable physiological, psychological, cultural explanation that you could conceive of and a few you can't conceive of. The reason that there are so many of these alternative explanations for near-death experience is quite simple, and that being the skeptics themselves can't agree on any one or several of these explanations that uniformly make sense, even to them, even to those people that believe there must be a physiological or psychological explanation for near-death experience. The bottom line is, is that there's really no element of near-death experience that's medically explicable by any known physiological or psychological or cultural cause, not any one element, let alone the totality of the evidence, that being what we see in the elements of near-death experience on an ongoing basis, not only in my work, but in the work of many, many others doing scholarly study in, in the field. Uh, but moving on, there's certainly a number of other elements that in the interest of time we'll cover relatively briefly. Uh, very often after the out-of-body experience in a near-death experience, they may experience a tunnel. The tunnel is variably described. They're often moving through the tunnel very rapidly. And very often as they're moving through the tunnel, they're approaching a very bright light. The light that is described in near-death experiences is not like the light that we experience on Earth. It has a mystical component. They may describe it as having a personality, an emotion, a presence. So the, the, they may describe it as bright. We had one near-death experiencer say the mystical light they encountered was like a million times a million suns, and yet it never seems to hurt their eyes when they look at it. It seems to be something very unique. 
uh, they may enter unearthly realms. And unearthly realms, they may encounter beautiful landscapes. That they may have flowers, trees, or other living things there with colors and a beauty that is unlike anything that they know on Earth. They may encounter from time to time in near-death experiences music that's described as unearthly in its beauty. There may, uh, beauty. There may be uh, buildings, there may be other beings, uh, almost always compassionate, loving beings that occur in these unearthly realms that are so typically described in near-death experiences. Um, certainly, you can meet deceased loved ones during near-death experiences. Now, I think this is one thing that separates near-death experiences from all other types of consciousness that I'm aware of. If you look at dreams, hallucinations, uh, any other types of altered consciousness, the great majority of people that you're going to encounter in these experiences are going to be people that are alive at the time of the experience. In your, your dream or, or whatever you may encounter, the bank teller that you did business with that day, the family member you said hi to on the way in. And yet with near-death experiences, uh, about 96% of the time when they encounter a being, that being is deceased. And in fact, we have a number of case reports where they encounter beings that they actually thought were alive at the time they had their near-death experience and only found out later that this person actually had died prior to their near-death experience and they didn't even know about that. And I would emphasize that these are not ghostly or spooky encounters. These are loving, joyous reunions. Even if the deceased individual was debilitated by chronic illness prior to their death, virtually always in near-death experiences, the person they encounter is picture-perfect health. Um, as Dr. Parnia talked a little bit about the life review. These are dramatic and some of the most transformational parts of near-death experiences. Uh, oh, about 15 to 20 percent of people that have a near-death experience may see part or even all of their prior life in review. And some of the times they, they review all of their prior life, it can be referred to as a panoramic life review. They may see themselves typically interacting with other people throughout their entire life. And remarkably, some of these panoramic life reviews not only involve a reliving of seeing their own interactions, but they feel what they felt when they interacted with the other person. And in some near-death experiences, remarkably, they actually feel, know, and become aware of what the other person was feeling like that interacted with them. And sometimes a considerable surprise when they become aware of what the other person was feeling. Uh, one of the real dramatic things that we see is sometimes they become aware that the, the, the tiniest act of love or kindness reaching out to other people uh, seem to be very, very important to that individual's life. And, and certainly uh, life reviews are very, very important. I would emphasize that during life reviews, even though they're seeing uh, much or all of their prior life, there's essentially never a, a sense of judgment. They don't feel externally judged during their near-death experience for good or bad. It's as if this was your life. You know, seemingly this is information and, and seemingly with the hope that hopefully they can learn from it and, and live their life in some different way. Now, interestingly, near the end of a near-death experience, there may be a decision to return to the body. There's typically another spiritual being or other being around them, uh, typically compassionate or loving, and there may be some communication about whether they should return to their earthly body. Uh, remarkably, the great majority of people, even though they've lived their earthly life for decades, they have friends, family, loved ones. And yet at this time in the near-death experience, typically the near-death experiencer does not want to leave that realm that they're in. From the near-death experiencer's sense, they have a profound sense that they're home. They feel at peace, intense positive emotions. They feel that they want to stay there. And it actually takes some bit of dialogue, some bit of concept, 
that the near death, before the near-death experiencer ultimately decides, yes, they're going to go ahead and return to their earthly body. What are the main reasons that they ultimately decide to return to their body? Uh, a lot of it has to do with continued needs for lessons about relationships, love in relationships, uh, often with an emphasis on family. And the other major reason that is, uh, seems to be convincing to near-death experiencers at this time is the concept of lessons not specifically defined in general, but the concept that there are lessons unique in their earthly existence that they need to return to and go back and learn. I would emphasize that the overwhelming majority of people that have near-death experiences believe that they are real and not hallucinatory, dreamlike, hallucinatory, or anything else. The overwhelming majority of people that have these experiences believe that in every sense of the word that they are real. And it's not surprising from having walked some steps through what a near-death experiencer actually experienced. So at the end of a near-death experience, of course, their first priority is going to be from, to recover from that which nearly killed them. And yet, after that, uh, over and over, we see the element of changed lives following a near-death experience. As I said, that's a change in beliefs and attitudes that the great majority of near-death experiencers have. Now, this doesn't happen quickly. Very typically it takes near-death experiencers years and several studies have estimated seven years to fully integrate this profound experience and its changes into their lives. However, these changes are consistently observed both in prospective studies and in retrospective studies. Over and over again in the research I have, I see the impact of personally experiencing an NDE to be profound. Consistently we see people having an increased belief in an afterlife and a decreased fear of death. That's not surprising, is it? Because after all, when you have a near-death experience, from their perspective, they know what it's like when they die because they really, deep down, firmly believe that they experienced it and that ultimately there's an afterlife and thus death is nothing to fear. They value loving relationships. They're typically less materialistic. They have an increased belief in God and, and, and a whole realm of other important after-effects develop following their experience. I want to uh, quickly go over just several prospective studies. Whenever you're looking at life changes after a near-death experience, you have to always be aware that retrospective studies of NDE are self-selected uh, people that are in the sample. So perhaps the most convincing evidence about uh, life changes after a near-death experience would come from prospective studies. You start, and in the two studies I'll pre present, a group of cardiac arrest survivors one group